Well, good morning, everybody, and it's great to see you out. We've all survived the snow and the meltwater and the power cuts, and goodness knows what else there has been this week for all of us. We are a little diminished. Some of our students are away already, and some of them are very busy with exams and assignments, and we think of them at this time. Our call to worship is the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. That's a little bit of a tongue twister to say. The beginning of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and to proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord, and make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now let us come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, it is our pleasure and our privilege to meet together to worship you. At the end of a chaotic week, in which everything from schools to roads to postal services has been disrupted. It is good to pause and be reminded that you have been with us in it all. In a week when we have been beleaguered by power cuts and burst pipes, seen empty shelves in the shops and perhaps have even worried about our own security, it is good to pause and to thank you that we have arrived safely at this day. Generous God, we have indeed been sustained in these days, able to enjoy the safety and security of our homes, able to choose what to wear and what to eat or drink. Yet we are mindful that even in this city, there are many for whom this is not so. What we take for granted is an unattainable dream for others. Forgive us the complacency that accompanies our relative wealth and health, and help us to be grateful for the bounty we enjoy. Loving God, we have enjoyed the company of family and friends, the everyday conversations of little consequence, and the laughter of shared humour. But we have also at times been less than we would wish to be. We have grumbled or criticised, knocked down rather than built up those with whom we have shared our lives. Forgive us the carelessness or self-absorption that leads us to see others as less than they are, 
or ourselves as more than we are. Joyful God, in this season of Advent waiting, as the light grows less day by day and the chill of winter saps our energy, grant to us joyful and hopeful hearts, eagerness to hear your voice, strength and courage to follow your call, and enough love to give away. In this hour, and on into the week ahead, may we travel with you, renewed and refreshed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There are three scripture readings this morning from the books of Luke and John. The first reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 to 20, and verses 57 to 66. And that can be found on page 73 of the Pew Bible. One day, Zechariah was doing his work as a priest in the temple, taking his turn in the daily service. According to the custom followed by the priests, he was chosen by lot to burn incense on the altar. So he went into the temple of the Lord. While the crowd of people outside prayed during the hour when the incense was burnt, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the altar where the incense was burnt. When Zacharias saw him, he was alarmed and felt afraid. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to name him John. How glad and happy you will be, and how happy many others will be when he is born. He will be a great man in the Lord's sight. He must not drink any wine or strong drink. From his very birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go ahead of the Lord, strong and mighty like the prophet Elijah, He will bring fathers and children together again. He will turn disobedient people back to the way of thinking of the righteous. He will get the Lord's people ready for him. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know if this is so? I am an old man, and my wife is old also. I am Gabriel, the angel answered. I stand in the presence of God, who sent me to speak to you and tell you this good news. But you have not believed my message, which will come true at the right time. Because you have not believed, you will be unable to speak. You will remain silent until the day my promise to you comes true. In the meantime, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he was spending such a long time in the temple. In verses 57 to 66. The time came for Elizabeth to have her baby and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard how wonderfully God the Lord had been to her, and they all rejoiced with her. When the baby was a week old, they came to circumcise him, and they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother said, No, his name is to be John. They said to her, But you have no relatives with that name. Then they made signs to his father, 
asking him what name he would like the boy to have. Zechariah asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. How surprised they all were. At the moment, Zechariah was able to speak again, and he started praising God. The neighbors were all filled with fear, and the news about these things spread through all the hill country of Judea. Everyone who heard of it thought about it and asked, What is this child going to be? For it was plain that the Lord's power was upon him. The second reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, on page 77. It was the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius. Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler of the territory of Ituria and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler of Abilene, and Annas and Cephas were high priests. At that time, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. So John went throughout the whole territory of the river Jordan, preaching, Turn away from your sins and be baptized, and God will forgive your sins. As it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, Someone is shouting in the desert, Get the road ready for the Lord. Make a straight path for him to travel. Every valley must be filled up. Every hill and mountain leveled off. The winding roads must be made straight, and the rough paths made smooth. The whole human race will see God's salvation. And the third and final reading is from John, chapter 3, verses 25 to 30. That is page 120. Some of John's disciples began arguing with a Jew about the matter of ritual washing. So they went to John and said, Teacher, you remember the man who was with you on the east side of the Jordan, the one you spoke about? Well, he is baptizing now, and everyone is going to him. John answered, No one can have anything unless God gives it to him. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah but I have been sent ahead of him. The bridegroom is the one to whom the bride belongs, but the bridegroom's friend, who stands by and listens, is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This is how my own happiness is made complete. He must become more important while I become less important. So, the third Sunday of Advent brings us to John the Baptist, the last of the prophets whose task it was to point us towards the coming of Christ. Now, John's story is a strange story. He's related to Jesus through his mother. We usually think of Elizabeth and Mary as being cousins. And actually, John is only a few months older than Jesus, probably only three months old when Jesus was born. It seems quite likely, though nobody thought to write it down, that in the hidden years of their growing up, Jesus and John would have met from time to time and become aware of their very different lives. Jesus was growing up in the northern region of Galilee, a very cosmopolitan area, heavily influenced by Roman and Greek thinking. And his earthly parents are people that we believe to have been very ordinary, 
an artisan, a carpenter, and his wife, and their subsequent children, brothers and sisters of Jesus. By contrast, as far as we can tell, John was the only child of an elderly couple. His father was a priest who served in the temple, indicating that they lived near Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. And John would have been very much steeped in the ritual and requirements of Jewish life and worship. He was, by birth anyway, part of the religious establishment, somebody you would expect to conform to the expectations, very different from his northern cousin who lived lived a peasant life. Over the last week or so, I've reread the familiar passages that point us to John's life and witness, and I've looked for clues about what this preparation was that he was calling people to. And as I've done so, I found myself drawn to verses that are there in those scripture passage, passages that I've read time and time again and never even really noticed. You see, like most of us, I've seen John as this rather scary, hairy bloke who was clad in animal skin and lived in the desert and said very scary things to people. Actually, what we find when we start to read these stories is there's a bit more to it. One word which is variously translated in the Good News Bible that struck me particularly is the word joy. We also have happiness and rejoicing and gladness in in the Good News translation. These are part of the characteristics of what it is that John is about. All through his story, actually, the word joy is present. I've been kind of challenged this week to think, well, how does being joyful Announcing joy and bringing joy feed into our own Advent preparations. Out of all four Gospels, it's only Luke who tells us about John's birth. We have an elderly priest whose name is Zachariah, a name that means the Lord remembered. And he's taking his turn to offer incense, a sign of prayer on behalf of the people. Here is a man who's devoted his whole life to the service of God's people, acting as a go-between between them and God. Faithfully, he has kept himself ritually clean, obeyed the law the best he possibly could, and lived an upright, moral life. You'd think, wouldn't you, that he would have received great blessing in return. And yet, in societal terms... Zechariah is a failure. He has no heir, not even a daughter, to carry on the family life. I found myself imagining him as a young man, newly married. And I guess he would have just simply assumed that children would come along. Because that's what you assume when you're young and newly married. And then as time went by that he began to pray for this child. And then perhaps those prayers gave way to resignation. It wasn't going to be. He and Elizabeth were now elderly 
and there was no child. And so it is an old priest who we meet in the temple. Perhaps people love him very well because they have known him all their lives. Perhaps they pity him because he has no heir. Perhaps they whisper about him. Why is it he has no heir? Is he really this person we think he is? And so he goes into the altar of incense to make his offering, and he has the shock of his life. I don't know how you would feel if you came into church and suddenly, over there, an angel appeared. But I would get the shock of my life, that's for certain sure. The angel says to Zechariah, the prayer of your youth has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, whose name means God's promise, will bear a son. And you are to give him the name John, which perhaps means God is gracious. Now we need to be realistic here. Not every childless couple who pray such prayers faithfully over years will receive such an answer. Not even in our day and age when we have so much medical technology to aid that process. But it does seem that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, God remembered God's promise and graciously God gave them a son. But what really struck me as I read that passage this week was what the angel says next. He says to Zechariah, you will have this son and first and foremost, this son will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of him. It's only after that promise of joy, of delight, of pleasure, of happiness for these people that we go on to hear about the permanent Nazarite status. John is never to drink any strong drink. We guess he didn't cut his hair either. These were part of the Nazarite lifestyle. And then the Elijah empowerment, the task of preparing people for the Lord. It seems to me that the joy, the delight, the happiness, the gladness is intimately mixed up with that task of preparation, of getting ready for the coming of the Lord. The preparation for the coming of the Lord begins with the joy of an elderly religious couple whose long-dreamed-of son is promised. The arrival of a longed-for child would delight any parents, young or old or in the middle. But for this couple, perhaps forced to the edge of polite priestly society by their childlessness, the birth of this child gives them back their worth. I think it's probably fair to say that there was a kind of a priest hierarchy going on there. And the ones that had lots of sons would clearly be seen as more blessed than those who just had daughters. And those who just had daughters would have been more blessed than poor old Zechariah who had no children. And when John is born, Luke tells us this wonderful thing. The neighbors and relatives came round to see the new baby. They were just like we are, you know, they wanted to see this baby when he came. And Elizabeth's joy infected them. She would have been just an amazing thing for her. Probably quite scary, this old woman who suddenly got this baby to look after. But she's delighted, and that is infectious. And right at the start, 
This preparer of the way of the Lord brings joy into the lives of other people. And so here's the question. What does that mean for our own Advent preparations as we try to ready ourselves for the coming of Christ? Where does joy and gladness and delight and happiness fit into it? And perhaps specifically, do our preparations bring joy to those nearest and dearest to us? It's a well-known fact that Christmas is one of the most stressful times of the year, a time that sees an increase in domestic violence, in arguments, in relationship breakdowns, in squabbles and fallouts. Those who are old enough to remember that episode of EastEnders where Den gave Angie the divorce papers on Christmas Day, sadly that is a reflection of reality. It is a time of year not of joy and delight, but for many people a time of stress and disappointment and worse. But what if we could bring joy to our preparing? We could bring that delight into the lives of those who share with us. What if the hopeful anticipation of half-forgotten promises could motivate our preparations? What if we actually dared to believe, Zachariah, Elizabeth, John, that God remembers God's promises and God is gracious? How would joy infect those we have contact with? Not a fleeting moment of happiness, but that inner ability to defiantly be positive despite everything and know that with God's help, that cannot be defeated. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has neither understood or overcome it. So right at his birth, John is a bringer of joy. And then I imagine John as a child growing up in and around the temple, learning about the law. I imagine his parents telling him the story of his birth, why it is he must keep his hair long, why it is that he's not allowed to drink anything that's strong or fermented, even if other priests are allowed to, because he is a special child. I imagine him growing up as a young man and seeing what was worrying about Jerusalem, both under Rome, but also the failures of temple Judaism, the loss of understanding of what it meant to be God's people. I wonder if his elderly parents died when he was still a young man, and if so, how that affected him. It's all conjecture because nobody tells us We hear nothing more of John until, like Jesus, he appears as a grown man in his early 30s in Luke chapter 3. By now, uh, John is established as an itinerant preacher and is regularly found on the margins of society in the desert around the Jordan. He's got a group of people who come and listen to him preaching and they react to what he says about repentance turning round their lives, turning round their values. And they come to him to be baptised, a sign that their former sins are washed away, are gone, and that they are choosing to live a new way of life. 
as the author reflects on John's witness, he's reminded of the words of the prophet Isaiah and sees in John the person in the desert who calls out, who proclaims, urging the people, get ready for the Lord's coming. And had we read on in that chapter 3 of Luke, we'd have been reminded what it is that John preached. Described by the writer of Luke, using the same language we use to describe what Jesus said. John announced good news, or gospel. And it should be no surprise to us that John, the preparer of the way, what he says reflects what Jesus would say later. But I wonder, do we glimpse the threads of joy mixed in with the seeming fire and brimstone of this man? We perhaps remember him calling them vipers or snakes and and denouncing what was wrong. But he also offers joy. He says, look, if you've got some spare clothes, give some of them to the people who haven't got anything to wear or enough to wear. And if you've got more food than you need then share with the hungry. Perhaps we need to remember that with our Christmas lunch and get out inviting those people who need to come and share the food that we long to share with them. If you are a tax gatherer, be honest and fair in what you do. Perhaps that speaks to business people. If you're in the army, to be just, to be content with your income, not to bully the people who live under you. Because if the people lived like that, then the joy that they received would spread from them to others. The person who had previously shivered in the night could be warm. The child whose empty belly rumbled could be filled. The struggling worker wouldn't need to worry about the unfair demands on their income. And the inhabitants of a military state wouldn't need to fear abuse or exploitation. All of these are preparations for the coming of Christ. And that made me wonder about me and about us in our own preparations. I've been kept quite busy over the last few weeks and I guess some of you have as well, choosing and buying gifts for family and friends and In my case, getting them ready to post off. But if I'm honest, I've also been getting an awful lot of begging letters and emails from one good cause after another asking me for money. And I've been forced to think, am I bringing joy, preparing for the coming of Christ, or am I trying to make happy the people I already know? preparing for the coming of Christmas. It's not that we shouldn't give presents to the people we love. It's good to do that. But I think there is a bigger challenge to bring joy to those who we may never, ever meet. Promoting justice, equality, peace and hope in a world where these are in short supply. Maybe each of us would do well just to take a few moments to think, well, how much have I spent on Christmas? And how much have I given to bring joy? Whether that is our money or our time 
or our practical service? How much are we bringing joy to others, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus to come to them? And then our third and final reading from John's Gospel, a time when both John and Jesus are active. This story takes place after Jesus' baptism and the start of his ministry, but before the arrest and execution of John. Now, it is quite a puzzling story, and perhaps one we quite often don't take much trouble to think about. But what we have is people wondering, well, who is it who's the important one here? Who should we be following? Is it John? Or is it Jesus? And quite why this situation arises is not clear. But it seems that although John's ministry is nearing its end, he is still very much active. And in response to the questions that people ask him, Jesus simply says what he's already told people before. I'm not the Christ. I'm the one who's been sent ahead to make the way ready. And I love what John has to say. He can see Jesus' ministry start to take shape. And it gives him joy. He delights in seeing this cousin of his, this Messiah of God, come into his own. And he says, do you know what? My joy is now completed because my work is now done. John's worked hard over many years, and I'm sure his life has been difficult. He didn't follow in his dad's footsteps and become a priest. Instead, he was this scary desert prophet, denouncing sin and denouncing repentance accompanied by action. He has no family line, no heir. That family will die when he dies. He's got enemies in high places. Humanly speaking, however self-assured he is, and I have to say John suggests he had his moments of doubt when he sent people from prison to say to Jesus, well, are you the one? But no matter how strong he felt at that moment when these people asked that question, his life has reason for disappointment. And maybe he could wonder, have I failed? Now even his own followers are leaving him to follow Jesus. But what he says is, my joy is complete because my task is accomplished. I've done what I've come to do. And now it's the time for Jesus to come greater and me to take a back seat. I wonder what your hopes and aspirations are. What is it you hope to achieve or be remembered for? I wonder how it is that any of us feel when somebody that perhaps we saw some potential in, perhaps we nurtured, is actually better at whatever it was than we are. Do we jealously hold on to our status? Or can we be delighting in what they have achieved? John was content to let go and let Jesus draw people into his kingdom, into God's kingdom. He wasn't just content, though. He was filled 
with joy. And what about us collectively? Do we really want to give Jesus the glory or do we want people to glorify Hillhead Baptist Church? Are we happy to see our work as part of the preparing for Christ's coming, pointing people towards him, proclaiming the good news? Or actually do we kind of want recognition for ourselves? Because I certainly know that if I'm honest, and I don't think you're that much different from me in this way, we actually secretly like a bit of praise and admiration and adulation. We like to have our fur or our feathers stroked and our egos boosted. I think there's a fine line between being recognized and affirmed for what we do, which is healthy and we all need it, and needing to be the center of attention seen as important. Because the task for us as a church and as individuals is to play our part in helping to prepare the way for others to meet Jesus. And our joy should find its fulfillment as they progress on that journey. It doesn't just build us up and make us feel good about ourselves, but actually we're glad that people are finding out more about this Jesus. Over the next few weeks, I'm sort of forced to lay down my work for a while in order to face the physically more challenging aspects of my treatment. Can't say I'm greatly looking forward to that, but you know, it's got to be done. But actually, when I look at John's story, I find great encouragement in recognizing that actually, I'm only a little bit of this story. God is doing great work in and through our church. God was doing that long before I appeared on the scene, but now I'm part of that story. And it's really easy for any of us to see ministers as more important than they really are, when actually the person who should be at the centre is Christ. And it's Christ's coming, whether into the heart of individuals or into a world in need, for which we work and pray. The fulfilment of joy isn't about what I do, which is probably a good thing, because I can foul it up like the best of them but actually about seeing that hope become ever nearer. Do you know, I think this is a church in good shape to face the next few months. And actually, when I come back after everything's done, not only will all be well, but all will be great. There will be joy and there will be delight and there will be gladness. But that challenge is there for all of us. Whatever it is that we are doing and wherever we are serving God's purposes, are we seeking glory for ourselves or for our church? Or are we preparing the way for the Lord? John the baptizer was given the task of calling people to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And in doing that, he became a harbinger, or harbinger, I'm never quite sure how you say that word, a bringer of joy. First for his parents, their relatives, and their friends. Then for those on the margins of society in Jerusalem and around into Judea and beyond. And then ultimately for all of us, he showed us the way for the Messiah. 
And so my prayer has to be that each of us will find true joy in the rest of our Advent preparations and beyond them as Christ's kingdom grows ever nearer. Amen. Shall we come together in the fellowship of our prayer? Almighty God, loving Lord, we bring our prayers before you, prayers of worship and prayers of intercession. In this 21st century, we have much knowledge of the sheer immensity of the cosmos, the universe. With that knowledge, stars, which are billions of light years away, we have great difficulty in fully grasping your might and even greater difficulty in understanding how such a mighty God can care for our tiny, tiny planet. Yet, as we are your creation, we know that you can. It is with this belief we bring you our prayers. We pray first for our world, for the huge problems of hunger, war and disease, and the violence and misery that come from these. Bring comfort to those who find themselves in the firing line, either literally or metaphorically. Be especially close to those whose own faith and love for fellow man has led them to give aid and care in very dangerous situations. We pray that your spirit of reconciliation will move among leaders whose antagonisms bring disaster on their fellow citizens. We pray too for those in positions of authority and influence that they may see a future world that thrives beyond national narrow interests. That the powerful Western nations and the increasingly powerful developing ones see cooperation as a better way forward to a secure future. Loving Lord, Hear these our prayers. Within our own country and as we approach Christmas, we pray for those who do not enjoy the closeness of family life or the comfort of good friends. We thank you for all that we have been given without any special entitlement beyond an accident of birth. Help us not to take such blessings for granted, but to have the imagination to feel for those whose circumstances has constrained, have constrained their whole way of life. We pray for those who suffer addiction and whose whole lives are aff afflicted by its effects. We pray for those whose lives are threatened by serious illness and especially those who face such a threat alone. Let your presence be with them. We pray for those in despair, be it from circumstances in which they find themselves or from the darkness that comes from psychiatric illness. Let your presence be with them. Bless those who are homeless and whose, or whose accommodation is not secure, and bless those who try to help. Loving Lord, hear these our prayers. Here in our own church, and for those in our fellowship, we ask that you bless and hold us close in all the ups and downs of our lives. 
We think at this time in particular of those who have lost loved ones during this year. We think very specially of Leanne, Paul and the children with the very recent death of Leanne's mother. Let your comfort be with that whole family. Be with Katrina in her illness. Fill her with a sense of your presence in the weeks ahead. In the silence, hear our own prayers for those for whom we have a special concern. As we think of specific people and situations known to us, we pray too for those with troubles and concerns known only to you. And finally, we pray for this fellowship as a whole and for all that it seeks to do in your name in this little church on this tiny planet. Loving Lord, hear these our prayers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God, source of joy, delight, happiness, bringer of hope into a world of uncertainty and doubt. As we go from this place into that world to live and work to your praise and glory, may your joy, your peace and your hope fill us this week and always.